Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of our inaugural show. My name is Jake and I'm here with my co-host Sam and our first guest for our first episode, Luis, the creative director of Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, we have a little bit of a, of a tech snafu, snafu, so we're actually just going to just kind of go through some of the stuff that we already talked about. So Sam, why don't you start us off? Now that we're all warmed up, the people have yet to know uh, all of the stuff about the things you're doing as creative director at Pathfinder and, and what that role entails. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got your start at Paizo, and uh, your experiences of being creative director so far. Yeah, for sure. Hi, I'm Luis Loza, creative director for Pathfinder's Rules and Lore. There are two creative directors, one for the narrative, which is the adventure side. And I'm in charge of the rule books and uh, our lore books and stuff. And yeah, I've been in the Paizo sphere since about 2014. I started originally as a freelancer working with Paizo. Eventually, a couple of years in, there was an opportunity to start as a developer. And I joined up in 2018. So I've been with the company nearly six years, just doing work with mainly the campaign setting. I started off with the player companion campaign setting books, and then went to E-Rolled around, helped spearhead and, and lead the Lost Omens line of books, which is our, our 2E focused, or our 2E setting focused material alongside Eleanor Farron, who's a current senior developer at Paizo. And about a year ago, about this time last year, I, I joined up as creative director. I got, got the promotion of creative director, where now I'm in charge of kind of telling people hey we should do this let's do a book on this or that or let's make sure this happens to a change with the setting and i've just had an opportunity to like do a lot to help guide the setting and i get to be i've equated it to being kind of the kevin feige uh, of, of pathfinder getting to make those big calls and, and letting other people then enact my vision as it were uh, not like a tyrant, like you have to do what I want, but you know, having the ideas about like, oh, we should do this, we should do that. And when the time comes to make final calls on things, I get to help make those happen. Hey, don't let the power fantasy, you know, if you want that power <laughs> fantasy, I think that there's a role for you somewhere. Well, that's <laughs> what playing Pathfinder is all about. So power <laughs> fantasy. Can you give us maybe some examples of the kinds of decisions a creative director is called upon to make? Yeah, I... I am helping decide which god we're killing within the next year. Uh, we're doing a big <laughs> event right now that we've announced for for uh, our big rulebook release next year, War of Immortals. And we've said, hey, one of the main gods, one of our core 20 gods that are featured in the rulebook, one of those is going to die by the time that rolls around. So have fun figuring out which one it's going to be and seeing the repercussions that come of it. So I got to decide that and figure out like the ripple effects that happen when this god dies and how it may or may not be changing the world as you know it. So uh, this this actually um, kind of uh, hit a question that I have now that we did not have before, uh, which is how does something like this affect the lore of say Starfinder 2nd edition where they're, they're, the lores are, are somewhat connected. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to kill off a god, how is that going to affect like Starfinder Second Edition, which already has a lore and has this gap and has this stuff going on? Do you do you also work with that team when 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 dealing with lore? I do. Uh, Starfinder has its own creative director who is also doing all this stuff, but you know, in space instead of from a wizard's tower like I do. <laughs> and the 
thing that happens with Starfinder via Pathfinder is generally nothing, right? What we do doesn't, it, for the most part, have any kind of repercussions in Starfinder. We've been keeping those uh, cannons and, and settings separate. So we can kill off a god and not worry about what they do, what how it affects Star, uh, Starfinder. Starfinder can do things, not worry about like, oh, does that retcon or change what happened in Pathfinder? There may be a day I've been thinking about like, is there a day where we have the timelines realign and then see all the chaos that comes of it? But even from the earliest days of Starfinder, there have been things that have been different enough that it's like, oh, it's not the exact future of Pathfinder. And I think that leaves us both open and, and not worrying about oh, well, how's this going to affect Starfinder if I add in a, a you know a random weapon here that has been mentioned that it's from an ancestry that doesn't exist anymore in Starfinder and it, you know all this other stuff. I don't have to worry about any of those ripple effects uh, too much. But uh, with the upcoming change in Starfinder 2e, it will at least let us play with each other's toys a little bit. We'll be able to share ancestries and magic items and stuff like that. So that'll be fun. We will have to consider the balance at the very yeah. least of the game rules. Because at least from my understanding, those two are a lot more aligned than Starfinder and you know Pathfinder, the original set. Yeah. They were com two completely different games with a somewhat of a similar lore. This feels more like they are a lot more aligned with each other. The fact is, is that a lot of people are using the playtest characters in their games uh, uh, is is very interesting. Um, yeah. So let's let's get into it. Let's talk about the remaster in itself, since that's really why we're here. Well, so could you start off by telling us a little bit about what motivated the remaster, what you focused on getting out into the world, maybe maybe some stuff that you're particularly pleased that you got into this remaster? <laughs> yeah, of course. The general impetus is start of this year, some an event, we'll say. I don't want to call it a debacle or anything like that. Something happened with the OGN, we've decided enough is enough, right? We've been connected to the open gaming license enough and it's shown that maybe it's standing is a bit more precarious than we thought. We'd rather not be built on, you know, keep our foundations on this kind of unstable platform. Let's just cut the ties and do our own thing. But doing so is a little, you know, easier said than done. You have to strip out a lot of these old connections to OGL and older D, D content and everything that comes with it and doing so requires a very fine tooth comb for a lot of our rules and our setting material and it meant that also getting a lot of these things updated required putting four books onto a schedule that didn't originally have space for these four books so there's a lot of extra work that was added on to to it and we we have a lot of internal tools and a lot of internal mechanisms a lot of amazing people that work here that can make this kind of work happen. But it was uh, a lot of work to make it all come together in a way that both removed OGL content and made the changes that we needed, but also gave us a chance to improve the quality uh, of the future books and, and clear up any, patch over any potholes, as it were, uh, that we may have had uh, developed along the, the, the way so we can have a smoother uh, ride going out forward from, from the, the remaster. 
so there are three things that I would like to talk about uh, yeah. that uh, are going to basically be, be me buttering you up. Okay, so uh, <laughs> the first is the fact is is that uh, even the things that didn't physically change, you you did make them uh, uh, visually different mm -hmm. in, in a way that made it easier for a player or a GM to be able to navigate information. For example, the amuses for a bard, it's got the the flavor text that is uh, a paragraph of of what it might be of that that specific muse but down at the bottom the mechanical aspect of what is there is highlighted it's bold and it is put separately so that when i can go through it if if i don't want to read the flavor text and i just want to play a character that has mechanical reasons and then go okay what does what how does that create my character and like what does that mean it's nice to be able to just see those bullet points right away visually. So yeah. that's that's the first thing uh, I want to compliment uh, the changeover mm -hmm. with. The second is is while it isn't um, well, it hasn't gone away, and I don't think it should go away. And I don't know what the proper terminology is, but. Um, a lot of the time in the Pathfinder 2nd Edition first book, uh, the art was highlighted like dead center and the text kind of moved around it, sure. right? And it, and it made it kind of, you know, difficult to kind of navigate around, you know, mm -hmm. a character's arm that the text had to, had like a, a, a word that would then go on the other side of their arm. Like, uh, a lot of that has has moved off. It's kind of like on its own side. Um, while there is a little bit, it's just very minimal and it's like completely easier for my mind. Uh, and then the third thing, um, and again, I know that this isn't lore. I know this isn't like, but I just wanted to talk about the, uh, the sidebar has been so much easier to navigate. The fact is, is that when you're in a section and you're looking at the class and you're in a specific class, uh, I can see, oh, I am at Bard. That means to get to to, to Wizard, uh, that's like three classes down or four classes down, not just like, and I know what direction to go. Yes, alphabetical, but also it, it's nice to go, oh, it's two classes up or three classes down and be able to navigate easier. Uh, as someone who uh, gets lost very easily within books, these these things were very very helpful for me, uh, and so that is the end of me buttering uh, <laughs> you up. <laughs> uh, well, I can just say, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I made all those changes myself. No, of course <laughs> not. That's yeah. One of the big things having the opportunity to work on this book is to make it more accessible for new players. We knew that this was going to be a great jumping on point for a lot of people. Right, there have been people who've been interested in two e. The OGL, in the wake of the OGL, a lot of people were trying it out, and later we announced the remaster, and they're like, oh, maybe we'll just wait till then. So we want all these new people coming in with this stuff to have an easier time with the book. I want an easier time navigating the book, of course, right? Like, it's just whatever we can do to make the, the everyone's experience better, and that includes breaking out things like the spells you get from your muse, just so it's a little bit easier to read, or tweaking it so instead of having the art of the shield in the middle of the page it gets pushed off to this little designated area where all the art sits and it doesn't mess with any of that uh and part of that is you know our, our everyone on the the team making great decisions on things uh yeah, logan bonner who's our lead designer had a lot to say uh, we had a uh sonia morris who is our director of visual design she She's the head of the art team. She wasn't head of the art team at the time that the original core rulebook came out. And she, you know, had a lot of ideas about how we can improve things as well. So there's just opportunities to 
finally clean th- clean a lot of things up, and I think it's ended up in a much more usable, a much more exciting and accessible book as a result. Well, send my love to them. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Obviously, the independence from the OGL was the initial motivating force, and along mm-hmm. the way, you got to make all these lovely information design changes. Is there anything in this remaster that you're just particularly pleased you managed to get into the book alongside? I I mean, the biggest changes I was looking forward to are the ones that we all kind of agreed to agree to upon agreed upon to across the board, uh, which include things like the removal of alignment and uh, removal of the attribute scores, right? Having a 17 or a 16 didn't make any difference. And there was nowhere in the rules that were referencing that beyond just knowing like, oh, I get a plus three from that. All right, so a lot of these, they're not dead weight, but a lot of, it's just a, trimming a lot of fat in a lot of spots where it really helped out. I'm trying to think of any particular tiny little change that I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so excited that this is happening. Uh, there were there were a lot of things I had a direct involvement in that I was just excited to to, I, obviously it was all hands on deck so some people needed to work on the spells and magic items and the classes and all that other stuff and you know, I helped where I could I'm not a person that can design a whole class on my own but I can definitely help out with magic items or help out with rituals and stuff so I was just kind of excited to make some of those tweaks here and there uh, we have a set of items, apex items you equip them at high level and they boost up one particular attribute modifier so you know you have your your stuff to help you get better strength or better con or better decks or whatever. And I got to make a new batch of those. And it was just kind of fun to put all of those together and come up with ideas about like, oh, what? how do we best represent strength? And what have people been saying about the original strength item? How can we make that a little bit better, or at least different and exciting and stuff? So doing those, I think, the, the little tiny tweaks I made along the way are that wish became a ritual instead of a spell. And I was really proud of how that turned out. So, you know, a lot of those little things that I can point at, I can't remember off the top of my head what they all were because there were so many of them, but just there's little things here and there that add up to feeling like, I hope, uh, a lot more exciting and more fun. Which is a perfect working definition of a of a remaster yeah. for this edition. It's streamlined in so many of those lovely ways. Are there any things that you lovingly regret to have to let go of? Any changes that we have sent on their way that we might feel a touch bittersweet about? There are some monsters I'm going to be sad to lose. Uh, Gelatinous Cube is one of my favorite monsters. Uh, It's, I mean, ultimately it's a prank in the form of a monster, in my opinion. It's like, haha, I got you with it. (laughs) But... Uh, that's one of the monsters I, I'm kind of sad to lose. There's a couple of here and there that I'm just like, oh, these are classics, and they're classics for a reason, and I really enjoy them, but we can't hold on to them. But there's uh, always good opportunities to do new stuff, right? So a lot where all these dragons that we really can't use in the same way anymore, I got to do all the new dragons that are replacements for those, and suddenly I went from a guy who's been very lukewarm on dragons, oh yeah, okay, dragons are a thing, whatever, I'm indifferent, they feel very samey to me because what do you do? They fly in, they unleash something, you know, they breathe something out and then they just tear you apart. Great. Boring. I've seen one dragon. I've seen them all right. But suddenly I had to put my money where my mouth is and 
I ended up making what I feel are really interesting and exciting creatures that still hold on to that legacy of a big scary thing, but suddenly they play a bit differently. You know, this one does this thing and this one shows up and uses this magic and you know, they all have different play styles and different suggestions of play loops, as it were, so it's not just all feeling samey and I'm now a guy who's like, yeah, I'm into dragons. Dragons are cool. <laughs> Good opinions. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to steal this question from Sam yeah. because this is a very weird question that sure. I, I wanted to know that I put on here, which is uh, why, why the color change? Oh, from red to green? Yeah. In the inside. It, part of it is just so you can tell the books apart, right? Okay. Um, and I think it's yeah, I think the at least from what I understand, the primary thing is just it's so you know that like, oh, I'm looking at which rule book is it the old rule book or the remastered rule book? I'm personally more of a green guy anyway, so this is I'm not, this ah. is this is I, I want you to know this this question has nothing to do with my preference because I yeah. prefer the green over the red. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was more of a a, a choice behind it other than like. Uh, you know, like, I just like green better. You know, I just didn't know if there was anything behind it because it was definitely something that was very noticeable. Yeah, no, green is nice. Uh, and I don't think there's any further statement beyond like it needs to stand apart from uh, the, the older book. And just there's it, it's not like these books, like you know, Book of the Dead has a very strong visual theme and there's like cool sidebars and stuff all all in the margins and stuff. It's just like. He's got to be a different color. Green sure. it is. Here we go. Yeah. I just, uh, the, the reason why I asked it is because uh, I feel like that that color, I guess, red, maroonish kind mm -hmm. of, uh, has been so tied to second edition sure. that it, it, it um, well, I find it visually more appealing in this green than it was. I uh, I was curious if there was like a, a, because of the remaster, that was a new direction that, and you're like, I don't have this answer. <laughs> let me let me open up the the monster core. And, and you're like, oh wait, what color if, did we use? <laughs> if if we used green and monster core, I think it might just be, hey, from the remaster on, everything's gonna be like the the core ideas of the books are are green. Uh, and if you know, it just feels like, oh, this is obviously a changing point in in the rule books and stuff. We're just gonna go with green, and it's not loading up my PDF, so I'll wait to, to tell you about that in a second. But this I, just I, this just leaves it for the audience to just be yes. like, oh, what? oh okay, what no, I have it. it. It is green, yeah. So I think the remaster is just green, right? Okay. It's a it's a new opportunity. It's a new jumping on point. So it's obviously just it's a new era for Pathfinder. So that comes with a new color. Yeah, we like our color coded, uh, just like uh, we like it for our for our dragons. It it yeah. gives an, an immediate uh, sense of flavor. For sure. So uh, that's going to lead us into our next section, which is our uh, submitted questions. Now, mm -hmm. uh, anyone can submit questions on our Discord, on our social media. Uh, but if you want a higher chance of getting your question chosen, uh, you should and send me $10. You can send Luis $10 and Luis <laughs> can answer it directly. Uh, or you can support us on uh, Ko-Fi. Uh, uh, we are pulling questions from all three of those locations, but uh, because Ko-Fi is a, uh, a smaller area, it's a smaller pool, and we will always be pulling at least a few questions from that group. So if you really want your question asked, uh, that is the best place to go. So um, we're going to ask two questions. 
um and, and a little feels like i should it feels like very few amount of questions maybe i should come back when more people have asked questions i mean there are more questions but i'm also trying to make sure that we have time for anything yeah, else that yeah, i might want to yeah. sneak in uh no no jake it's all right yes louise we will very happily accept you <laughs> as a return guest in future so make sure to get your questions for louise into the chat into okay. the comments on youtube do it. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break the break the fourth wall and talk about uh getting to spend time with Luis at Big Bad Con. So first of all, uh, I ran into Luis at Big Bad Con. The last time I saw Luis was at Gen Con 2020 mm -hmm. uh, or 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it was the first time I I I'd seen you since then. And uh, I was like, oh god, oh my god! Like I was so excited that I got to see you again, and we started talking. And then I was like, okay, I need to not be that weirdo that's like hovering around Luis because like I don't want him to think that I'm like that dude and then like i would come and sit down then luis would come over and sit down and ha we'd have breakfast or like just sit and talk and i was like i have okay. i hovered <laughs> i was like i was like almost like oh my god i'm not weird <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is great um but one of the things is is that you that you and i talked about uh you know getting more information out of there and and some of the conversations that we had actually got me very excited about creating content again because i i, I while well, i had been oh producing, that's great I hadn't created content like uh, a lot of content uh, and have like actually started some projects. Like one of the projects that I'm working on right now is a lore project, which uh, I've already reached out to you mm -hmm. about and I've already poked you about. But um, as someone that lore is not easily accessible via a wall of text, uh, I have wanted to try and of create uh, simple bite sized pieces yeah. of lore for people to be able to consume, uh, you know, in like two minute chunks you know and so uh i that is something that you helped me uh like come to like wanting to do so uh i i'm i'm glad and luis was like yeah no you need to interview me i was like done i'm going to <laughs> i thought it, at first i thought it was one of those things where he's like i'm just gonna say this to shut him up and then when i said it he's like all right cool i was like bet <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So we have a few questions. We will uh, absolutely have Luis on uh, for as many times as he's willing to come on and talk about any projects that he's working on. Mm -hmm. But right now we're just going to pull two questions. Uh, sure. Sam, uh, why don't you take us off? Oh, yes, absolutely. Now that Jake has asked his hyper-specific question about Pathfinder colors, I have to assume you are yourself sitting on some kind of hyper-specific question that interviewers uh, like us may not think to ask. So our Nietzsche very thoughtfully asked, what really cool thing you've been doing that nobody ever asks you about? What question have you been waiting to answer? Oh boy. Um, I think, I think people know most of what I've been doing, at least related to the remaster, which is mostly these dragons and then like little things here and there uh what else did i i i think and i don't i don't know if people if a question is the right thing but I, it's a thing i want to talk about so i'm gonna you know contort whatever Please. to it being is you know hey what changes did you make to the setting or anything in the remaster and the answer is that we didn't really change the setting at all. Why would we do that? It's still the same setting. But <laughs> we did tweak a few little of the 
uh, entries for the deities in the, the player core book from the original entries. Uh, two that come to mind are Irori, who's like the monk god. Uh, and originally he had a thing about like, it's anathema to basically become addicted, right? And we realized that like, when you think about it, addiction is a lot more nuanced and complicated and all that other stuff. So we changed the anathema to now read, engage in overly unhealthy or self-destructive behaviors, right? So like, it's possible to be playing a character who maybe started off as an addict of some sort and then through that self-perfection, self-fulfillment ideal of a Rory, uh, you know, break away from that and, and manage to, to live with that, deal with it, overcome it, uh, and not feel like, oh, my God hates me, right? So there's there's a, a tweak there. And another one was like, what's going on with Torag? He just wants you to kill anyone who's an enemy. So we've, I've tweaked that. And there's maybe some story stuff wrapped into that that you might be learning about within the next year as well, uh, that mm -hmm. Torag now says, you know, it's anathema to show continued mercy to enemies uh, of your people when they prove that these en these enemies prove that they're undeserving of mercy, right? So you're allowed to let them surrender and, you know, maybe try to rehabilitate them and all that stuff. But if they, like, take advantage of that or they obviously just flat out evil and just want to kill your town or whatever, you can finally you know, deal with them. But there, there's a little bit more opening up in some of these things. We want these stories to allow for characters of any variety, and we don't want people to feel like they're shut down by by some of these things that the gods were requesting of them. So we, we've opened up just a little bit. And again, with Torag, there's a particular reason that I know that you'll learn about soon enough as to maybe why he, he's changed his mindset a little bit. Is it because Torag is going to die? If he would, if he would die, that's a lot of work to put into to change things, and then it doesn't matter, right? Okay, oh, so, so then safe, or is he? I don't know. <laughs> if you, if, I, I've I've put in a lot of different things. At the end of any Lost Omens book, if you look at the very back credits, right at the very end, right at the very bottom, it's it's like after all the the license and everything. There's a little hidden message um in those lost omens books go back and find them if you didn't know that this existed it also happens at the end of adventure path books uh at the end of high helm there's a quote from the holy book of torag which jake might be getting and if he has it he can read it but it basically says hey i'm torag you're all great and all that stuff and thank you for worshiping me but maybe you got to figure out how to learn to live without me i can't always be here for you Aww. so it's important to help each other and not just rely on your God to do everything for you. Don't that, be too merciful, but also, you know, be independent, be your yeah. own. Uh, you gotta, you gotta learn to like, I can't fix all your problems and all that other stuff. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call you out because uh, I, I can't find it, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm intrigued. This is, this is, I can't find it. Because I can't find my book. I should say not, sure. not that I can't find what you said. Um, Okay, that's very cool. Um, so a lot of lot of teases and a lot of setups that I've had, uh, and a lot of red herrings. Maybe I don't know. Are they? I know, but I'm not going to say. <sighs> we I, try so hard to wrest them from you. Foiled again. Uh, I'm excited for the last section because uh, I've got like uh, 40 questions uh, for the last section, but we have one more question that we're going to go through. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yes, I wanted to pull this question uh, from our viewer and supporter, Murphy Pop. What does Pathfinder do better than any other TTRPG system? We know, of course, that 
you played a lot of different games and different sure. games are good at different things. What's Pathfinder the best at? Uh, well, I obviously can't answer that because I haven't played every TTRPG, so uh, it doesn't matter. No, of course not. Um, I, I think the two big things that I think Pathfinder does really well, whether other games do them better, obviously someone can say like, oh, I think this other game actually does it better. But it's character choice, right? The, the customization that comes with it, you can do so much, right? You can mix and match all these different options and end up making a very unique character. And thus, we give you the biggest of blank canvases and so much paint to, to play with on these things. And that can be overwhelming for a lot of people, but I think it's it's one of the strong points is just character customization and everything that comes with that. And the other thing is nowadays, especially with second edition, it was less so in the first edition days, but just integration with our setting. When we put out a rule now, it's very obvious where that exists in the world. And when you look at a thing in the world, it's very obvious I can look back to a rule and be like, oh, that's, you know, this NPC is using these options. It's not always like, hey, this NPC is using this exact class, but there's enough there that you can like, ah, I can see these threads together and how they work together. So, so the setting is such an integral part of the rules. We obviously include chapters in the, the player core and GM core that tell you what the setting is because it, you need to know it's so important to us, not just the gods, not just some of the monsters that exist, but like everything is interconnected. And we, we even more as we go on, aren't putting out stuff that can't exist in Galarian and we aren't putting stuff in Galarian that we can't somehow or eventually knowing our future plans replicate with the rules somewhere. So the last section is called the hot seat, which we're going to ask you a series of rapid questions. Sure. Um, now, there, I only have one question that I have given you on the notes, but uh, oh. the series of questions. I can't be I, too overprepared for a hot seat. No, you can't, you can't be overprepared because uh, most of these questions came up through our conversations that, uh, that, <laughs> sure. that, that have led to information that you it's have. It's going to be 20 dragon questions from Sam. So, yeah, there, I mean, Sam... <laughs> I want you to know Sam loves dragons and Sam uh, has played dragons in multiple games. So like, I'm so excited. You've told me that like, I'm so engaged. I was like, oh yeah, Pathfinder remaster. Cool. And then you were like, oh yeah. And we did tons of things with dragons. I was like, so, so, so one of the things, Sam, <laughs> just, just to give you an update, uh, the dragons are no longer uh, chromatic. They're based off of like the spell schools. So like spell traditions, tr traditions, sorry, traditions. Yes. So like occultism, uh, and 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 divine there's, there's arcane divine primal and occult yeah so and then they do different things from that but they're one of those four categories no matter what yeah but there's there's difference within each of them anyways yes. I, we'll we'll get into the dragon question so uh, i'm going to ask the first question uh which is with especially with the information that we know that you're going to kill off a god how is that going to affect characters that are deeply connected to deities so for example uh champions which you have not talked about yet uh because sure. they're the champions are probably one of the classes that are going to see such a large overhaul because of the removal of alignment so this is a two-part question one uh how are how how champions work and uh <laughs> se second part of that question is is uh with the death of a god how are you going to make that work within maybe someone that has chosen a champion of that deity sure uh well the don't want to talk too much about champions because those are still quite a ways out till next summer for player core two but we 
have been doing a lot of work. I will say that the removal of alignment means that some of the causes, the champion causes, like I'm redemption or liberation or whatever, have opened up a bit more. They're not just constrained to, oh, liberators are always chaotic good, right? That's not so much of a thing. Uh, so some of these causes are opening up to most any god at this point. Some are still tied to these have to be holy or unholy. But something like the paladin, which has now become the just cause of justice, anyone can care about justice. What you think is just varies based on your god, right? Uh, but that that is now open up to a lot of things. And then with the death of the god, we knew this was happening for quite a while, even before the remaster, right? We knew we we were in talks of god killing for <laughs> for quite a while. Ah, premeditated uh, crimes. Got yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the thing is, we knew going into it, we are going to print all core twenty deity entries. So, regardless of which god it ends up being, if you don't want that to happen you still have those stats so you can still worship whatever god it ends up being so if we were to kill torag for example uh torag's information is still there so you can still be a champion of torag whether or not you decide that he's dead your table and maybe if he is there's some something special about your character and he, he still has the last remnants of torag's power right but like that's still possible and we'll talk about that uh, we talk a little bit about some guidance on what happens if your god dies along the way uh, in the Divine Mysteries book, it's our big God-focused setting book that's coming out late next year. So we, we have plans in place. Someone will be upset that their God dies, but there's always like, well, you can just say Paisa stinks and I'm not going to listen to them. Um, so uh, one of the questions that we had received, uh, mm -hmm. which we didn't really get too far into because uh, I know you can't really talk about them, but are we going to be seeing remasters of all previous books? So, for example, maybe game like characters that aren't really affected, like say Gears and Guns. Like, are are we going to see a remaster for setting like books like that? I don't think they'll get a full-on remaster the way player core is a remaster of our core rules right uh what we have been looking into is can we issue uh errata or or faqs or anything to make those compatible with the, the updated rules uh, and and make that work i don't have any kind of timeline on when that's going to be happening but it is something we've been looking into because some things don't work the exact same way Right? There yeah. are no spell schools, and there's a lot of things that were speaking to spell schools back in the day. We need to figure out that, but it's alongside all the other stuff we're doing. Just uh, it takes a little bit to to get that going, but it is definitely something we have in mind. It's definitely something we're going to eventually address, um, hopefully sooner than later. I know that the design team has been looking at it. Don't really have any exact timeframes just yet, but it, it is something that's going to happen. So um, we have to cut this off, but uh, what I do think it's is not very hot of a seat. I guess two questions. I, I mean, I mean, look, look, I, I, I want to respect your time. I want to, I want to. I can go five to. more minutes. I, know, I, can go I, five. I mean, I mean, I mean, legitimately, I can go five more. Minutes. Okay, okay, all right. So, uh, Sam, do you have any dragon-specific questions? What, what are the dragons? Tell me the dragons. I mean, look, I have to try <laughs> to ask every question that isn't tell me about uh, the the dragons, but what did what was your motivating design thought as you approached it around traditions rather than, you know, I don't dragon colors. What what goes how do you approach that kind of design thing? 
the thing about traditions is it one makes things much more pathfinder pathfinder has these four traditions which is not there there are very similar things in other games but these are these four specifically in this combination those are ours right and that makes anything we tie to them just all the more pathfinder and the idea behind those is there's a lot of foundational similarities across the board all arcane dragons tend to look a particular way we had an internal uh concept artist kent hamilton come up with a lot of stuff and we've been previewing some of these on our blog here and there so you know our arcane dragons look a particular way primal dragons look a particular way occult dragons look a particular way divine dragons are weird and they all look different but uh the there's a lot of foundational stuff but then you can kind of spin off from those and there's a lot of ideas like oh our old dragons that aren't the chromatic and metallic dragons do those fit under this paradigm yes they do so we don't have to lose them we can just tweak them reflavor them a little bit and then keep them around so there's a lot of make things still work and still feel like dragons but then open up for new possibilities right all, all the occult dragons they're particularly weird right they, all the primal dragons are bigger and beefier and stronger and probably just more brutal and, and bestial and stuff so general themes that we can then extend into different ideas which dragons are the cutest dragons the cutest dragons of the eight that are coming in that book is probably the imperial dragon which is like the heaven dragon right it's a very nice cute little guy and he's got a halo uh, which is very fun, and the halo comes into play with his his game mechanics. Rather than just fly in and breathe holy light, he can unleash the halo, and the halo goes out, and it can like make a protective aura or heal people or push enemies away and stuff. So it's all about protecting people and manipulating this halo while also like, oh, there's a demon over here. I'll protect these people. Go halo. Okay, now I'm gonna beat up this guy. That's super cool. Uh, yeah. I I love that. I love the yeah. hell out of that. Um. So what I'm hearing is, is that when this book uh, is about to come out, uh, we can have you come on just to talk about the dragons. Is that yeah, what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Yeah, probably. Yes. Uh, come January, I'm sure I, I'll be free to just talk about dragons all day. <laughs> so so um, can you talk about, uh, and I, I don't know if this has been announced, so if it, if it hasn't, then you can just say no. But do we know when we're going to be getting our next Lost Omens book? Uh, yes, the next Lost Omens book is... The Tiansha material, anything that's all our East Asia, Southeast Asia inspired uh, region of the world. Uh, it's called Tiansha, and there's actually two books. Uh, there's a world guide, which is a big 300 page. Here's all the regions and life and stuff. And then the character guide that comes after, which is here's character options and new ancestries and stuff. So the world guide is coming out in April. And I think the character guide is slated for summer i think it's august of next year but yeah that's you're gonna have to wait a little while longer for more last omen stuff because one of the unfortunate things with the remaster is that like there's a little bit of shuffling that happened with the um the schedule so some things had to wait just a little bit longer to to come out but yes come april you'll be visiting the the region tiansha and learning all about the people and stuff that happens there I'm I'm very excited to ask you a million questions about it uh, when it comes to uh, yeah. it comes to that time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and extending your time a little bit. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> it so much. You don't even understand. Uh, thank. I you. had to at least talk about one dragon. So. Yeah, had to talk about one dragon. I mean, that I I, I want to talk to you more about dragons, but um um yes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for watching. Uh, until next time. Uh, have a good night, everyone. <laughs>